I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Salim Garami. And we love to watch. We love to watch says, show me the way to sink boats. I'm hungry and I want to eat co-eds. I broke into the lake about an hour ago and now Eli Roth is dead. Show me the way to go home. just want to be like a weird owl figure because i feel <laughs> yeah. like yeah. more and more of these intros are just becoming half-assed song parodies <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't half-assed come on yeah that was well, pretty no, so snappy i think i think full full assed is weird owl no assed is that starbucks episode where nathan fielder writes song parodies and then half-assed is what we just heard Oh, okay, then I'll take that as a compliment that I'm halfway to Weird Al. <laughs> I mean, there's just not that many other examples. <laughs> don't don't get too excited. Uh, yeah, but we are here for our what is this? Our, this is our sixth week. Uh, we usually okay. don't do double months, so it's so confusing. But yeah, where we love to watch, we're a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of a month around that theme, and if we remember, we compare and contrast. And this is our sixth week because we're doing a double month. It is the summer of Scream Makes, and uh, we are doing one of one of one of the ones that I was pretty evangelical when we were uh, amazingly trying to trim down this list to eight movies. Uh, we had something like fifteen because, despite what uh, you've heard on the fake news, uh, there's a lot of good horror remakes out there. And uh, I was pretty – this was one I was really evangelical about. Uh, I think The Blob, Peter, the one we talked about last week, was kind of your, like um, – like, obviously, we were going to do Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Obviously, we were going to do Dawn of the Dead um, just because it's it's very interesting to talk about at the very least. But I think, I think it's fair to say The Blob was your kind of little baby that you wanted to make sure found its home. In this in this summer of scream makes, and yeah, I think that it was basically like that, and then we were both really excited to do the crazies, and then mm-hmm. it sounds like this was yours, Piranha. This, I, well, well, actually, my two uh, got removed. My number two, <laughs> my one of my my one of my two babies were oh. taken out because uh, Peter's like. Uh, I, I don't I want to give these two babies up for adoption. I want to find new homes for them in other months. Uh, so my two babies you'll hear later. But this is my number three baby, the one that I kept when I was ready to parent. Um, yeah, I I absolutely love this movie. Uh, and and, as, and we'll talk uh, a lot about it on the episode. But part of it, I've said it before on the show that I kind of came into horror movies gradually where I kind of started – only enjoying the like big fun bloody uh gross uh almost like over the top horror movies of dead alive and evil dead 2 and then eventually kind of became a fan of uh horror movies in general and this really felt like a throwback to just just a ton of gore a ton of ridiculousness and just a generally a good time at the movies, uh, which I don't know if there was that many uh, horror movies in 2010s. Definitely not in like the 2005 to 2010 range that were kind of being made like this. So it came at a perfect time and I was glad that it held up for me. 
But we're joined by a guest who uh, last talked to us about the horror movie that made me go from a I only like goofy over the top horror movies to, oh, kind of straight ahead horror movies can be scary when we did uh, 1978's Dawn of the Dead. Salim Garami. Salim, welcome back. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me back. If people don't know who you are, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to our audience? I have a film blog. It's It's been on like semi-hiatus for a little bit. Um, movie Motor Breath, which I have spent my first activity in a while making a huge, huge, ridiculous um, compendium of like 2010s related lists. Not only my favorite movies for the 2010s, which is about to come up and that will be about 150 movies listed, but the best popcorn movies, the guiltiest pleasures that I had, best surprises, biggest disappointments, so on and so forth. Um, so that compendium is like halfway through. I took a pause on it right now because of what's going on. I wanted to just leave the, the space and bandwidth for like other things going on right now in the world. Uh, so hopefully I'll get back to that really quick because I actually wanted to clear that up before my birthday, which is later this month. Yeah, and included in those lists... Included in two of the lists that have been published by now, and one that will be published shortly is tonight's uh, tonight's subject. In addition, I do occasionally write for uh, the filmexperience.net. Anytime I have something to, to pitch, Nathaniel Rogers, the person who runs that blog, is very open to me. Uh, Aaron and Peter know me as that one guy who, you know, is either uh, violently angry about a movie or... Uh, <laughs> ecstatically happy about a movie on uh on the dissolve facebook group so uh yeah so we did meet uh salim through through the dissolve which was uh a facebook group where a lot of our guests where we met for the first time and the thing about salim that we came to realize very quickly is that he uh actually i'm gonna i forget what other commenter described you at this or described you as this but they had posted something about some movies um, that they liked. I don't even remember the context, but I just remember there. Uh, you said, "Why didn't you put the following movies on there as some of the best of the year, or something like that?" And I just remember the reply being, "Look, I didn't make this list to cater to your weirdo taste." And I feel like <laughs> that that uh, describes you very well. I think you have a uh, a very like specific taste in movies and there's i think you've on some of these lists which i've read that you've posted um i always find movies in there that you are passionate about evangelical about that sometimes uh, makes me think oh i need to take a second look at that movie and then sometimes makes me go oh yes like that exactly i saw like i said piranha on this list i think we were some of the only two people that uh, now, I watched it 30 times because I'd, uh, I had a kid who uh, was like three or four, but they were like, you know, as much as the boss baby got a lot of shit, like the boss baby is actually like a pretty good version of these movies comparatively. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think there's tons of examples about that. Anytime that you kind of, uh, I think, put your flag down that a movie is worthwhile, I am always interested because I think you do offer a perspective that um, definitely does, it definitely marches to the beat of its own drum. But is, uh, you know, I don't want to hear from the same people always praising the same movies. And that sometimes that, you know, taste goes the other way, too, where you uh, you tend to uh, be 
uh, uh, I don't want to say against, that's not the right word, but uh, vocal about movies that have a uh, consensus. But I don't – I've never felt like that it's it's from the perspective of someone who is trying to be a troll. I think that your taste is genuine and your, your thoughts on movies are genuine and I think – uh, you can you can like a movie and always be interested to hear in the consensus or hear a perspective of someone who doesn't uh, doesn't see it the same way as you. So I've always appreciated. Uh, I, I shouldn't say always. You know, when someone joins the dissolve, sometimes it's like, what's with this guy? But <laughs> but uh, it didn't take too long. I think well years ago now to realize like, oh, it's nice to have someone who is well well written has a good perspective. Uh, but yeah, sometimes doesn't always align, but I am glad that this is, I think, so this is on your guilty pleasure list. What was the other list it was on? Uh, it was on my most underrated list. And if I'm going to be a spoiler, because it's actually the very next list I'm going to, I'm going to post, it was on my, uh, and, and these are guiltiest pleasures for the 2010s, most underrated movies of the 2010s. It's going to be on my popcorn, uh, on my top 30 popcorn movies of the 2010s list. Yeah, I think it deserves to be like it is. So I and I know you're also uh, definitely have a lot of um, a lot of uh, perspectives on various horror movies and horror movie trends. So as I said earlier, like I feel like this is very a unique film in in its era as well like i just don't feel like there was a huge audience and people were getting the budgets to make fun popcorn over the top horror movies that also happened to feature um a ton of uh kind of uh regressive gore and nudity and dumb jokes and a lot of other things that um uh, that just felt absent from the era. It felt like if you were going to get this gross, it was going to be a uh, a torture porn or a uh, you know even movies that I like that came afterwards, like an Evil Dead type movie. Like yeah. the Evil Dead remake is I like it a lot. We're going to talk about it at some point. It's not fun. Yeah, it's capturing what the original movie, which is which is it's supposed to be this sort of like marathon of gruelingness. Where I don't think this movie. While made by a guy who's made some movies that are marathons of gruel, uh, Hills of Eyes and High Tension, notably, mm-hmm. where they're just dread, dread, dread. Um, El- Alexander Ahaz, this movie is far more fun, and it, it, it's it's particularly trying to capture the the strange horror comedy mix that the original film had and but instead of uh you know um it doesn't merely uh just become a comedy by casting some funny people it tries to capture that strange quality where a scene a a moment of pure disgusting grisly horror could be funny and spooky at the same time um which is which is i think a a lot of that that original joe tante movie's uh uh, charm as well it's funny that you mentioned um the evil dead not not to go uh, off topic for a little bit but like no the evil dead remake what what's what's funny about it and to to be honest and not too crazy about that remake but uh, obviously, the the remake is very grueling, very very miserable, very like direct with a huge bucket load amount of gore, possibly the most gore I've ever seen in a movie. 
And the original, while it has that same sort of tone of like sincere uh, gate of hellish horror, it still does have like a sense of humor about itself. That's pretty weird. Yeah. There's like uh, not as overt as like Evil Dead 2, but you know, there, there's like a whole shot where like uh, branches pulled out of like uh, somebody's abdomen and we see just like we hear a squelching sound that's like totally cartoonish and a, and a whole bunch of like blood just spill out of like the open wounds like it's a funnel or something. But as for Alexandra Aja, you guys, uh, Peter, you basically hit on it about like how he comes from like the French New Extremity, uh, the French New Extremity movement with uh, High Tension, the 2003 film. And I'm a, and I'm a fan of uh, Aja's work both before and after he came to America. Uh, the Hills Have Eyes has that same sort of misery to it, but my two favorite movies of his, both of which are going to show a spot on the popcorn films list, and uh, both of which, they're, they're creature features. They're they're basically just like pre- creature features that are like that know how to be like pure meat and potatoes about itself. The other one I'm, yep. I'm referring to is Crawl, of course, the the one that came out last year, the alligator movie. But you know, so the, damn fun, so fun, oh so damn fun, so fun. One of uh, one of one of my favorite movie theater experiences I've had. Um, like yeah, they're just creature features that are like meat and potatoes based. Uh, know what you came for, give you what you come for, and then like leave very very quickly. Like both Piranha and Crawl have extremely efficient like final final scenes. They yeah. don't. They don't. Both are under, them. and both are under ninety minutes. Yeah, exactly. And that's much even, appreciated. <laughs> that's even given like credits. Oh yeah, uh, like especially if the point of your movie is uh, we're going to show you a, a monster. We're going to actually t- take a real life monster, uh, amp it up to uh, absurd levels. But it's largely just you know a story of a couple people. Um, yeah, making a ninety minute movie. That's what eighty to ninety minute movies are for, right? Is like these. Uh-huh. This just like I, I, an experience, a little roller coaster ride, but a roller coaster ride that's crafted with care. Uh, the sort of care that uh, Alexander Aha showed really early. Like High Tension is a movie I have a lot of third act problems with. Like so yeah. much so that it almost it, it kind of ruins the movie for me. Oh yeah. You can't deny the level of fucking craft that he showed right off the bat, man. Yeah, and we actually covered the Hills Have Eyes remake on this show like four years ago, I think, or something like we that. Should, we it, should re-release it for as like a, 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 a during this time because like it yeah. is one of the horror remakes that I think both of us agreed is like surpasses the original, surpass the original, and minus the like uh, un- completely unnecessary like rape scene. Mm-hmm. I think is like one of the. One of the best, or uh, if one of the only, well, let me say this, I should say one of the best. One of the only worthwhile uh, of that, like, Platinum Dunes, let's remake all the Wes Craven era horror movies, uh, 70s horror movies. Like, that one's actually, like, pretty well done. So he did Mirrors in 2008. Uh, yeah, it's the remake of the South Korean horror film Into the Mirror. Oh. Oh, I was going to make a joke. It's a remake of the Tarkovsky movie. <laughs> With Kiefer Sutherland is the lead. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's called The Ninth Life of uh, Louis Drax. Louis Drax. Yeah. Which is a supernatural horror film from 2016 that made, ooh, box office $500,000. 
So it sounds like now one. he's he's expanding out even with crawl. It sounds like he's expanding out outside of the pure horror genre a little bit because mm-hmm. um, that sounds like it's more of like a supernatural kind of uh, supernatural experience. I don't know. And then his next project is, I think, like anime or something. It's an animated feature of some regard. Oh, hopefully he's f- finally giving us that sequel to uh, the, the Owls of Gahol. <laughs> which we've talked about extensively on another episode this this month. Um, I, I hope we get the the Gahol owls back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who who better to pick up the baton than Alexander Aha um, for the owls of Gahul? Um, but yeah, he's a guy that I'm generally really fond of. He was a guy who I I, I heard high ten- I was uh, in junior high. I heard high tension was like uh, I was on the IMDb. Uh, boards gathering up. This was, you know, pre-dissolve days, obviously. So I had to. Yeah, two thousand three IMDb boards. You may have seen it as like the eighth best movie of all time. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was a horrific place to exist. I'm very glad that they uh, uh, nuked the IMDb boards from orbit. Um, but the, uh, anyways, that's where I like got a lot of my early like uh, extreme uh extreme film recommendations that's like where i i sort of internalized those lists of like these are the most extreme movies of all time and like over time that list got you know broader and broader to exclude to include fraction french new extremity what was happening in japan at the time you know which of all these crazy torture porn american movies is actually good the answer it's like four of them um yeah three or four <laughs> um but yeah the the french new extremity is a, is a period of time that uh was very fruitful for a lot of of really interesting filmmakers uh, and it helped birth alexander aha and the fact that americans were so interested in importing uh those kind of filmmakers at the time like hey come on over here uh you already have a skill and technical craft we're going to give you a few weeks to make a horror movie. It's probably going to be a remake. Uh, do your thing. And sometimes they would sink and sometimes they would swim. And he's one of the guys that, that swimmed, swam. Uh, before we actually get into the movie proper, uh, I did want to ask a question. We had done a couple years ago. We had done an episode or a month around Joe Dante movies. I said at that point, I think he may be my favorite director. He just has a very expansive filmography. And even though he hasn't, say, produced as many of my favorite movies as some other directors, I just I just love the way his his kind of uh he has both an eclectic tone, but also there's a consistency in aesthetic. Like when you watch a Joe Dante movie, it doesn't matter if it's the howling or the burbs or small soldiers, there is a certain almost ineffable uh, quality that he gives all of his movies that make them, I think, separate from from uh, most other movies I've seen. And like a lot of filmmakers starting out in the 70s or 80s, his one of his first movies that we didn't get a chance to cover was the original Piranha, which I'd always heard as a parody of Jaws. I didn't see it for the first time until about 10 years ago. It was uh, kind of annoying to get for a little bit. Um, and now it's super easy to get. Um, you so figure, You figure Corman would want uh, as many people to give him money for his old movies as possible. Yeah, it was one of those like Netflix discs didn't have it. And then so it was basically, I mean, I guess I think I finally ended up buying it from Amazon. And then very specific to me, the Amazon disc I got was cracked when I got it. And then they were out of stock. So like, I guess... It was it was difficult to get in that you couldn't get it on streaming, like you couldn't even rent it on streaming 
and um, it wasn't available from Netflix disc. And then for me specifically, it became even harder because uh, the copy I ordered was broken uh, and I couldn't get a replacement for a little bit. But uh, I think I expected something uh, when I heard parody of Jaws. I expected something more along the lines of uh, a National Lampoon type, maybe not like air, Airplane or Naked Gun level parody, but like uh, 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 I'm about to say the word lampooning and I can't get out of it, so I'm just going to say it, but more of a gentle lampoon of, of Jaws. And I actually like seeing it from the perspective of the mid to late 2000s when I saw it for the first time, I actually – didn't didn't get that vibe it was just a somewhat goofy somewhat gory really fun horror movie that i love quite a bit i actually think that this movie feels more maybe it's just because it opens with richard dreyfus dying in a lifeboat which we'll talk about <laughs> actually so i guess my question is uh twofold not to get too into the original one uh assuming you guys uh have, well have you both seen the original uh, Piranha, and if you, do you have any general thoughts about that movie? And two, do you agree with my assessment that this feels more like a Jaws parody than the original Piranha? Yeah, I, I have seen uh, Piranha. I actually watched it last night for the first time. I realized oh. it was like one of my last remaining Dante gaps. It's like that, uh, Bearing the X, and whatever his sort of like supercut movies he made for Corman back in the day. Yeah, the movie <laughs> Orgy. He didn't make it from Corman, but good luck seeing the movie Orgy. It's been very hard for me to watch. Um, yeah, uh, and Bearing the X is one of the worst movies I've ever seen, but. Yeah, but anyway. I've seen like I've seen some of his more recent stuff, and I've seen the whole. But um, I, I, I yeah, I, I, this is one of my few Dante gaps, and I think I was almost saving it for for this moment. And uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm fond of it uh, for its era. Um, it, it definitely feels like it's more just. It doesn't even feel like it's sending up creature features as much. Like it just yeah. feels like it's a creature feature with a sillier attitude. Um, yeah, with a Corman fine. attitude. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's a film that's that necessarily is like we did the scene in Jaws, so we're gonna do it as a joke here. Like it, it is, it is a straight ahead horror movie with jokes. Like I, I don't, I see, and I see this movie Piranha. I think you were getting to Aaron. Is I, I see this movie uh, Piranha uh, by Aha uh, as more of a. Um, is more satiric and more it has at least more threads to pull for satire whereas the original movie i i you know there, there's not a whole lot of satire and a bunch of kids getting chewed up on by piranhas yeah um yeah it's it's funny but it's not satirically funny like it, at best i think you could say at least my perspective when i saw it was it's sending up the the instead of a big shark it's little fish and that's like the send up and then everything else is just what if teens got attacked by little fishes? Which is yeah. very good. Like, I, I enjoy it quite a bit. But it doesn't feel like the way that it always had been described to me. What about you, Celine? Uh, I mean, yeah, I basically agree with you guys that I brought up the Aja film. Um, it has... It, it is the more, like, directly funny, satirical, and parodying of the two films. I think that's... Part of it is that, so, Joe Dante, we all know, directed the film, and obviously Roger Corman, like, produced the film, so it's a B-movie at its core, and it feels like yeah. a B-movie, absolutely, but also, John Salies, uh, one of my favorite directors, he wrote, uh, he wrote Piranha, yeah. and uh, because of that, I think, like, it had, like, 
I think his sense of humor comes from Gene Dante's uh, direction himself. He has like a lot of, like a shot in the original, like, you see like this Harry House and this creature, but you know, the background, and we have uh, Kevin McCartney coming in to play what is essentially like a parody. It, it's almost kind of a parody of his, uh, of his world and being the modest natures. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like basically they're like yelling at me on a mature deal. Um, and obviously like Bradford did he has like this uh, Brad Heather Nelson's has that like small hot sheet kind of vibe of like Bradford Dillon's like, but like Sadie's brings like a grounded new colorist to to the original that I really really dig uh, gives it like a Americana like sense to it that like yeah adds to it uh, Dante is the one that actually gives it a sense of humor like makes it a bit more fun I think uh, I know the campcaster is Paul Martel, the, the director. Of the yeah, and, uh, and I think he's definitely like a former addict, but like and Moore as well. And I think they both like a bit of contributions to it. But I do think like it takes itself a, a bit more seriously in a way that like the movie absolutely is. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and it's we actually have an example of a movie that doesn't take anything seriously and suffers quite a bit. Have you, have either of you seen the sequel to this movie? 3DD? I have not. Because this is actually not, just real quickly, I'm not much of a, uh, uh, this this movie has the auspices of being a, a, you know, a bad on purpose movie. It's not, but it looks like a Sharknado kind of bullshit. I don't like movies like that. So uh, somebody saying, so somebody telling me like, this is the good one for Piranha and me being like, okay. And someone being like, actually, the sequel is just as bad as you would expect from the first Piranha, but the first Piranha was great. I was like, yeah, I can, I can totally avoid that. Like I, I'm not so hungry for these, this variety of CGI creature features that I was like, I'll roll the dice on that. Not my yeah, I guess I guess yeah. I was. I did watch it when it came out, and I guess I I don't think that I was hungry for CGI creature features in the sense that like the the worst parts about this, and I never saw it in theaters. I actually heard the three D, uh, even from contemporary f- reviews, was was one of the first uh, horror movies of this kind of like three D re- reemergence of three D era that critics were pretty aligned on saying it was good. Like, it was enjoyable to see in 3D. It was additive. It was it added to the fun. Um, and it was kind of shot with, with that in mind. But obviously, I would say, and we'll, we might talk about this more, we might not, the biggest, like, eye-rolling part is when the, when the fish are feeding underwater, it looks like a to be generous ps2 graphics um all of the like gore i want to talk like all the gore effects everything else looks great love it but like uh the practical effects great uh but the cgi fish specifically i feel like if they could have spent a little longer in the rendering machine might make those scenes a little less uh embarrassing but uh, but, you know, I, I really liked the tone of this movie, and it had a lot of the survivors, or at least the survivors they could get back, uh, like um, uh, like Ving Rhames and um, – why am I forgetting his fucking name? The the host of uh, How Did This Get Made that's in this movie. Paul Shear, who 
I actually don't think survives this movie, but he, anyways, he's in the sequel. I think Sheer survives. Rames definitely does not. Rames gets uh, ch- he's chopping up fish with the motorboat, and then they're chewing at him, and then he sinks below the water, and then he gets the morning shot from his fellow officers, where yeah, they're, like crying and smacking against the side of the boat. Like he doesn't, he doesn't make. So, so anyways, he does in the sense that he's in the sequel along with Paul Shear. <laughs> Wait, he is. That's yeah, why. The sequel, so I was kind of, again, like, I didn't expect it to be as good. Obviously, the director is a is a nobody. But I'm like, you know what? The first one was fun. I, I was looking for this kind of popcorn, over-the-top, core comedy energy. Uh, and, and this one took place at a water park. And let me tell you, it is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's direct. It tells you how, like... Yeah, and, and this is why I, I mention it to your point, Peter. Like, you can't just do, oh, this is going to be over the top. I think when people hear over the top, they think of one of two things. One, uh, arm wrestling with Sylvester Stallone to get your kid back from truckers. Or two, <laughs> you think of like, uh, it's so bad, it's good, or something like that. Or like, taking a dumb present uh, pr- uh, premise, doing nothing with it, and just hoping that the the premise itself, or the audacity, or the gore, or the nudity, or whatever else you're showing in your movie, uh, gets uh, takes people and, and gives it an enjoyable time, or makes enough money, or whatever else they're trying to do. And I actually think, while I would never recommend anyone watch Piranha 3 Double D, uh, I would say that is a really great example of even some of the same cast, the same idea, the same we're going to go big and gory and over the top. It doesn't work if you don't like have a genuinely well-written script and a competent director who has more up its, its sleeve than like blood and guts. Any movie that goes in being like, oh, you know that we're going to be so bad it's good, like, we won't do it on this. It just feels like yeah i can think of maybe four i can think of maybe five movies ever that like are purposefully trying to be bad that are actually like good or you know purposefully trying to be trash i'm actually curious i i I was trying to think of one where i said it what what would you consider hobo with a shotgun is one yeah that's that's a that's a good one um but like do you think like do you think like astro you think piranha like I, the, the thing about Home with a Shotgun and like Piranha, I, I, I don't think like the directors came in trying to do a really bad job. I think they, I think they were trying to capture a certain like really attitude. Yeah, and they did their best to create that while still trying to like maintain. I don't think Ajay came in and was like, "Oh, I'm just gonna make it." Oh, exactly i don't know if i can i can name one because i think like i don't know if i can name one because like what you're ultimately doing is like you're saying okay so like i think the so bad it's good thing is like hard because if you're purposefully trying to make a bad movie it's like yeah black dynamite's amazing sure yeah black dynamite's they or, Ast- or astron six stuff right or right. astron six stuff but mostly like father's day because after that they got into like sincerely good um i think the closest i can claim is paul verhoeven's movies uh where like showgirls and starship troopers i think even those show like an intelligence awareness of itself and like have a deliberate game 
money to like make themselves work. I mean, I'm, I'm out of this. I guess I'm sure there's things that's bad. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, sure. It's absolutely great. Yeah, but like uh, he comes in with like a Joe Estherhouse script that's like basically most massage, like most massage thing you could possibly be. Uh, works with actors that I don't think lets the joke themselves. Kind of like how Cooper didn't like let. Um, What's his name? Slim Dickens know that Doctor Strange was comedy. And, yes, uh, yes. And use that to construct like a satirical uh, intelligence, satirical film. Do that again in Starship Troopers. I don't know about Mister Oscar. I don't think he wrote it, but he yeah, used like really, really fascist material. Yeah, and yeah. used actors that for like the main cast that. For lack of a better word, one of them's in this movie too. weren't weren't going to be good enough to get the material or to play into the satirical nature of the material. Yeah, yeah. it was basically like Michael. I, I think Michael Ironside and I think all the Michael Ironside and and uh, what's his face Neil Patrick Harris are pro- are the mm-hmm. only people in Starship Troopers that like take any time to like really wink at the camera and everyone else feels so sincere to the benefit of the movie i would say yeah, exactly. you, want, you want the main the main crew to be super sincere but yeah you're, you're i think you're I, me just constantly proving myself wrong outside of black dynamite proves the point that like making a movie that's so bad it's good is uh, that or you know making a movie that's actually making a movie that's quote unquote so bad it's good is 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 a much more complicated dynamic than uh you would think because like there's a lot of movies that aren't so bad it's good but live in that milieu that sort of that sort of vibe because they purposefully um askew pretension they say i'm going to live in this trash world and i'm going to adopt whatever trashy techniques i need to accomplish the goal especially living in a post tarantino world um where he'll do techniques that you know you know when you watch a tarantino movie and he does a really weird kind of awkward zoom effect and you're like is that the coolest thing i've ever seen or the dorkiest thing i've ever seen like that now yeah. that we live in that world it's impossible i think to find like any not impossible it's it's folly to try and make a so bad it's good movie because now we have films that are uh, uh taking techniques from quote-unquote bad movies and then uh using them for for sincere technical purpose yeah. yeah and i actually like i think that you know to get back to my original point is that i think somehow over the top and so bad it's good got confused in like the mainstream movie lexicon. So yeah. you see something like this that's like, uh, you know, has like a you know a moment where someone's dick gets bitten out, and then the dick gets thrown up at screen uh, or at the audience on screen, which must have been even more hilarious in three D because it's literally thrown up at the audience. And you either go look at those idiots putting that in, or you recognize that. Um, that the joke is about how over the top and stupid like that is like, and if, if I think the way that these like so good or so bad, they're good movies get made and get made why they're, why we can't think of a good example of that is that the, the people who make those movies think that, oh, it's just, that is laziness. Dicks are funny. I threw a dick in there. And so that has to be funny. It's just a question of, I think, in some in some capacity, just the talent to recognize, like that old adage of "there's a thin line between clever and stupid." And by old adage, I mean uh, from the movie "This Is Spinal Tap." <laughs> I, 
Joe, just before we go on, I just want to see where we all are coming from. Who in this uh, in this podcast has seen Piranha 3D and 3D? Say hi. Oh, I have not. No, I have not. I watched it at uh, I watched it at home uh, when it when it came out. Have you seen it in 3D? Yes, I did. I saw it in its uh, original release. Hell yeah! It's an interesting 3D one because it actually was he was trying to shoot shoot it in 3D and he was like, "This is a pain in the ass." But yeah. instead, he shot it in 2D. But knowing that each shot, uh, each specific shots, he was gonna have to convert later and like. Supposedly, it's a really good experience. Did, did did it work for you at the time? Oh, it worked. I mean, like you know, the two thousand tens in my in my eye. I think like I may be wrong, but I think that was like basically where three D was like at its peak in in this in this past decade, and where like yeah. it, was, it was getting much more popular because we had Tron Legacy later that year. That same year, we had Step Up three D, which I also loved. Um, that same, and, and I also love Tron Legacy. Um, yeah, Tron Legacy rules. We talked about that on the show last year. Um, we had Despicable Me had 3D. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, basically a lot, a, a lot more movies had 3D in 2010 and 2011 than I can think from when Avatar came out to uh, to where we are today. Oh, Toy Story three, along with like the the short film attached to it, Day and Night, which has oh the yeah best usages of 3D I've seen. Um, so it, so it worked for me. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's what it says on the tin. It's basically just like cheesy, chintzy effects. And I, I think cause this rewatch, I saw it in 2D rather than 3D. And I was able to like tell what shots were the 3D shots that they want you to notice. Yeah. And what weren't. I assume that's the case for you guys. Like, yeah, the spinning, <laughs> like, like the moment like where the she throws thing, up yeah. the dick thing. Where she throws up the off dick the thing is clearly you can like almost hear an audience screaming in the background, right? Like, <laughs> or the or the uh, motorboat propeller or whatever. Uh-huh. The motorboat, yeah. the taser shot, like all of that. Um, but it, it, it was, you know, it was just a lot of fun. We're just like seeing like the it, it, it added a lot to the to the gross out factor, which was another thing that I enjoyed about this movie. It's just a, like a, a nasty little thing where like trying to bring out the the most ridiculous like <laughs> bodily like fluids and imagery to like uh throw in your face and yeah yeah so that 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 added to it for me not like it didn't make it high art but like this is a high art film did did some of those uh shots that like look extra ps2 graphics era uh did that work better from your memory anyways in 3d i I mean, I can't tell for sure anymore because, you know, uh, re-watching it uh, earlier this past weekend, all I could think was like, oh yeah, this CGI is not aged, but like, (laughs) I imagine that like, because a lot of it felt like on a different plane from like the water itself, I imagine that possibly like it might have worked a lot more with with the 3D. I know for a fact the opening scene with like Richard Dreyfuss sinking into that whirlpool looked like hell in 2D but definitely worked in 3D because now there's like a depth to it that like adds to adds to it instead of just looking like uh, a two-dimensional drawing like spinning around for a little bit. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That one especially feels like, hey, even in 2010 how could something look this bad and the only way it would make sense is if it looked 
uh, at least like it, it it added some level of um, momentum in 3D that just does not translate to 2D. So, yeah, I would love to, uh, you know, when when theaters open back up, uh, I I really hope like an Alamo or someone does a does a screening of this. Uh, Alamo's actually been doing uh, before all before COVID and everything was doing a lot of like uh, interesting 3D movies in 3D screenings or at least where i were in my neck of the woods so god i i would i would uh i would kill to go see this well let's are you guys ready to i know we've been talking about it a lot already but are you ready to get into the plot and the specifics of uh people uh getting bit quite a, quite often to be honest by piranhas are you guys ready to talk more about piranha mm-hmm. sometimes called piranha 3d Yep, let's get into the meat of it. Great. Great. It doesn't make a difference if she does it for pay. Far from born again. She's doing porn again. They're angry little dogs, but she don't care what they say. Say men that tell us stop Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, Peter, you are alternate taglines. I sure am. And do you know how much I prepared before this? Zero percent. Sure did. Forget that it happens every week. Every single week. We don't uh, really like it. Yeah. We're going to keep doing it, though, forever. uh, Almost directed by Chuck Russell. Was it really? Yeah, it was almost directed by Chuck Russell, who directed last week's movie, The Blob. Ah, weird. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Just a weird thing that happened. Uh, He was all set up to do it, and then uh, this is not something that AHA started, uh, not a project AHA started, but he was all set up to do it, and then for whatever reason, he dropped out, and then AHA was the next pick. Um, I don't know. Uh... It's a feeding frenzy. You ever seen a dick burped out at you? <laughs> it's important that it's burped out at you, I think. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so what happens in this movie? <laughs> Various types of motorboating, I could say. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All, all the motorboating. All the motorboating. If you could think of... A euphemism for motorboating, sexual or violent. It's in the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I imagine even like if you're 14 and you're watching movies specifically because I don't know if that's even a thing that happens anymore now that pornography is very easy to 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 watch. But um, let's just say you are a 14 year old who somehow has no your 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 parents have locked down the Internet very well. Uh, have not given you a phone. I don't know. I'm trying to now, – now it's almost too easy to get pornography. But let's say this hypothetical 14-year-old is only watching movies to see nudity. I imagine by like the third act, he's like, yeah, I get it. There's a lot of nudity. Like <laughs> this movie has a bunch of like Girls Gone wild S scenes for the reason that we'll talk about. And then like when you're bored with that on any level or like a 14 year old it's like yeah yeah okay i get it then they have a weird wet t-shirt contest and then also other random nudity de- it's it's uh which i again uh i i have access to all the pornography i want i'm an adult person 
I can see nudity whenever. It's it's super easy. Uh, unless, of course, my, my uh, kids are around, which is most of the time. So it's actually super difficult. Are you saying, are you, saying you don't have a bathroom with a lock? I mean... I let me tell you, this is like an old adage. It is 100 percent true. If you have kids, uh, the time they most want you to uh, participate in their lives is when you've gone to the bathroom for any reason. Mm. <laughs> uh, sense, I have, sense. I have the honestly, the hardest part about quarantine is that at work, no one talked to me while I was shitting. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a peaceful shit unless they're asleep. Hey, uh, Aaron. Can you help me uh, put my blocks away? Yeah, that's what my kids sound like. I have a, I have a six and a two year old girl. They're always like, "Yeah, Dad, blocks." <laughs> hey, uh, Aaron, can you? I uh, can't reach the microwave. You want to zap my macaroni and cheese? <laughs> yeah, they do a lot of. They're yeah. My kids are essentially Goodfellas castmates, like extras. <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'm picturing is like hey. them them, ta- them tapping their coffee cup against the door <laughs> they're they're sippy cups yeah hey dad do you want to like get me some chocolate milk I'm pumping- <laughs> like- i would say though i would say though like i i like my job whatever um the if if uh a co- if i were ever in the shitter and a coworker that you know someone on my team like tapped tapped my stall door and was like hey do you ever get that report i would quit that day and by quit i mean i would never return to my desk i would just walk out the building with the toilet <laughs> with the to- well yeah it's it's i'm using this yeah this is squ- my separate right <laughs> Okay, well, I don't think we're going to recover from that. I'm just going to say the plot quick. Uh, so, yeah, this uh, really really quick. quick plot recap. Um, oh, I have an alternate uh, tagline. Oh, great. Fish gone wilder. There you go. There. It's kind of getting the spirit of things. Yeah. Um, this did bring me back to when... What was what that guy's name? Joe... Is it? It's not Estevez. I think that's someone else. Um... <laughs> Fuck, what's the girl's gone wild name guy? Oh, oh, yeah, the guy, that guy, the guy that went to, you know, you, uh, you, you finish the story. Francis. It made me forget when Joe Francis was the thing. So I did look up, like, what happened to Joe Francis besides all the prison? It's a good story. All the stuff. He now lives in Mexico because they don't have civil court extradition stuff. And he, but if he ever comes back to the United States, he owes, uh, from what I can tell, quite a lot of money. Um, but yeah, yeah he's that'll the happen worst. when you make your life off of exploiting women. Uh, <laughs> Some of yeah. which underage, it sounds like. Yeah, a lot of a lot of bad stuff. Uh, it really sucks that like all the people like again it uh, uh, nudity, uh, dancing, uh, all those things all, all okay. Like any any way that women want to use their body, totally acceptable. It is it, it does suck that all of these like. Uh, these like people that are at this that you know their names like uh, Joe Francis or Hugh Hefner are like uh, constantly a combination of is this women empowerment or women or or, uh, or exploitation uh, fem- female empowerment or female exploitation and most of the time it falls on exploitation unfortunately and yeah this, there's a this the, is the fact that. that Joe Francis went to prison is like such a weird beautiful uh uh, note because like i remember in junior high before i had easy access to pornography um 
those girls gone wild ads would pop up uh late at night when i like couldn't yeah. sleep and yeah. or, or i had too much coca-cola or whatever so i was just jacked up on caffeine late to, late in the evening and it was whenever couldn't play video games and those those uh those those ads would always uh rile my my hormonal spirits uh <laughs> and, and make me make me wonder what what are those wild girls up to uh and then you know i never actually saw the tape because by the time i had access to pornography i was not sending uh, a, a man on the tv uh whatever four payments of 1999 uh and so you mean you didn't want to get a new tape every month sent to your parents house peter <laughs> i sure didn't hey kids whose girls gone wild mardi gras style is this <laughs> anyone who Hopefully not you, Peter. You're the only one that's not 18. Charlie! <laughs> there was literally one person to blame it on. Well, sorry, too. I guess my, my dad could have been, um, uh, what, is, what is it, false flagging our family uh, in this scenario. But uh, yeah, I guess, too. My brother and, uh, and him could have been uh, uh, in cahoots. Or maybe, uh, you know, my sisters wanted it to discover just what are those wild girls up to? Should I be this wild? Should I, should I be a wild girl? Uh, yeah, so just for the record... The answer is no, and it is legally actionable. Uh, yeah, Jill Francis at various at various times has been convicted of tax evasion, bribery, false imprisonment, assault causing great bodily injury, oh, yeah, dissuading, a wit- dissuading a witness. I forgot he was like, he was like, he would like threaten people and hit people. I, yeah. I, I, I thought it was just the... You know, just top-level nope. pervert stuff. And then he pleaded no contest to child abuse and prostitution. So, uh, I think, here's what I'm going to say, fair target for this movie. <laughs> I just love the sentence. Please, please, no contest to child abuse. <laughs> Guilty as charged, your honor. <laughs> uh, I mean, based on all the evidence, no contest, but I'm not going to admit to it. Anyways, yeah. This- <laughs> anyway, so that's the capper on my adolescence was uh, finding out that Joe Francis Empire had, had crumbled. He was going to jail for one thing. Oh, wait, maybe seven things? Uh, and then at that point, whatever, Pornhub had popped up. Ethical porn was starting to become a thing. Um, like, he, he truly, like, he, he truly marked uh, uh, a, a real, like, um, ep- he was like an, a, a, like, a Goodfellas-style epilogue um, on... on- <laughs> on my life on my, i just my don't know these like here like I, I i don't know how much this is gonna make into the episode because we don't need to do a whole joe francis talking. we still gotta <laughs> the plot of this fucking movie what but, else are we gonna talk about girls gone wild it's not look, it's hopefully never again but it is weird that like so yeah i was there ground floor three in the morning i ever purchased any of these tapes i barely knew anyone that i think i knew one guy in college who had got the tapes but again three four in the morning you're staying up really late all of a sudden you, we don't have cable it's all girls got wild or the guy who's like, there's money for you with the question mark, the Riddler guy. Um, and uh, but here's the thing, like the first tape is just like I remember those ads just like, here's the girls. They have gone wild by the tape. The, the weird thing about all these fucking guys is like, oh, yeah, I'm making a ton of money. Sure. But they're all focused on the girls. Why am I not the star? And pretty soon it's like, Joe Francis presents. Like, why do you need to be a celebrity as part of this? It's such a, such a, I guess maybe not a weird impulse, because I guess the type of person that's making Girls Gone Wild sucks. And that's a move that someone who sucks would do. But 
Yeah, like all of a sudden I remember a few years later, it's like Joe Francis personally goes around and convinces women to. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah. I mean, uh, I knew most of the, of the uh, conviction stuff and all the sketchy stuff about Joe Francis. And I, like, Peter, like, when I'd be in middle school, like, about to go to sleep, but, like, watching one more episode of South Park late at night, I would, yeah, run, I, into, the exact I, I would run into those commercials. But, like, um, uh, I, I, I come from, like, a very conservative family that, like, made me somewhat prudish in terms of, like, sex. I think I still retain some of that prudishness, uh, even though we're about to talk about, like, this fucking movie of all things. Um, but, like, yeah, so, like, I, I never got, like, actually exposed or involved to Girls Gone Wild stuff, so, like, my knowledge of, like, Joe Francis and Girls Gone Wild is purely, like, uh, purely cursory. academic. Cursory. Academic. I mean, I, I, I like the I like the girls gone wild for the articles. <laughs> Have you seen their FBI warning? <laughs> Work hard. I like the part where he asks they ask the girls uh, what their major is, what they're writing their their, their final thesis on. <laughs> I it's, yeah, it's kind of like I was a little older than both of you, but I I more remember it for. All of a sudden, the ads are more about Joe Francis and everyone being like, what the fuck is this? And then him getting in, like, appearing on television like he's some sort of, like, Hugh Hefner figure in the 60s. And then and then uh, early versions of TMZ or whatever the fuck being like, Joe Francis in trouble. <laughs> uh, um, can you believe this guy may go to jail? Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, this movie... It's it's a typical Lake Town. I want to say Colorado. It might uh, be Arizona. So it's uh, it's Lake Victoria, which is fictional. But the, what they where they actually shot it is uh, Lake Havasu, which is on the border of California and Arizona. And it's like this. It's a spring break location for sure. It's less yeah. wild than it's portrayed in the movie. Lake Victoria, but it's supposed to be like out in the middle of the desert and like the real the real place they shot it and the place it's it's kind of based on Lake Havasu is like, you know, you're in the middle of the fucking desert, but there's this because of the um the way the Colorado River has was dammed, it formed this like beautiful blue uh lake. Um, and so I don't know why, but that made it sound like the Colorado River had entered a pact with Satan or something. Like for more, (laughs) for more, more flow. Like, well, back when the Colorado River was dammed, I got my uh, dual bachelor's uh, at Arizona State, so that's my uh, my undergrad. Oh yeah, yeah. I started my undergrad like in 2010. And one of my degrees, obviously, was in filmmaking practices. So, like, uh, a lot of people I knew were in uh, were in the, the production of, like, uh, Piranha 3D. And a lot of them were, like, either below the line, like, PAs or uh, were working as extras. And I can still, like, pick out some of my friends in specific <laughs> shots. And they're, like, two-second shots that don't last for very long. Some of them aren't even facing the camera, but... Once I see the, once I saw the movie like this weekend, I was like, ah, that's uh, that's David, ah, that's uh, that's so and so, and yeah, I've been to Lake Havasu a couple of times. It's it's pretty well known around like Tempe as like a spring break spot. So 
yeah the, that, mo- that cool movie has- be, when you live in the desert it's cool as shit to be able to like go cool off and like yeah. party and drink like out and yeah. still be in exactly. the desert yeah and i would say i don't know if we'll get back to it uh but all of the um location shooting and underwater stuff minus the piranhas looks fucking amazing like it, it, does. it looks like the type of place that uh obviously Salim, you've been there but if you haven't you're like you know minus all the co-eds now it'd be a great place to go get the kids out on the lake that's um i guess just don't go that weekend yeah that's one of my favorite things for me is to, like make me want to like visit the location i can't say i felt that with piranha 3d since it's a location that yeah, exactly. It loses that mystique for me. But like when a movie like has that kind of like I don't know what to call it, like what Werner Herzog said about like the voodoo of location or whatnot, but like yeah. a sense of a sense of, of of location that like makes you want to want to go ahead and visit there. I run into it like so many times and knowing that it's like experience with around three D makes me feel and that's such a great thing. I, I didn't know you'd actually been there. Uh, it's so great that like the, 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 it's part of this movie's sort of a satiric touch um, is that it's not being it's not a piranha movie that's shot in some like gross backwater bog or something or like a tumultuous gray ocean. It's shot. Oh, it's shot uh, in bright, beautiful daylight. Yeah. Everything is shiny and glistening. Most of the co-eds, a lot of them are actually uh, adult film actors. I think Gianna Michaels gets torn in half in this movie. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, that contrast between the beautiful locations and the sparkling water and the natural beauty and the horrific, horrific violence is like, it, 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 uh, it, it's unspoken satire. Like the, the idea of these beautiful, young, like ripped bodies and toned bodies being like torn apart in like ridiculous, ridiculous ways. Like, it's inherently perfect horror comedy because it's both like, oh, God, that's awful. And then also funny because it's like the, the, they they didn't they, the cops were driving around. Cops were driving around saying, get the fuck out of the water. And then they're like, oh, yeah. And then eight seconds later, they're getting their legs torn off. Well, and, and just the scale of the magnitude adds to the ridiculousness. I, I'm going to get right back to the plot. We're going to brush through because I know we're already like in the meat of the movie. But, Peter, what it reminds me of is the burning. Yes. Like we yeah. talked about how in the burning, like why that movie's so amazing, it has basically no kills until it kills most people suddenly. And I've just never you know, I had never seen another movie, the slasher movie that was like, Hey, we're not gonna do this one every one like one person every ten minutes. We're gonna kill everyone at once. And then most people will survive from that point forward. And this is this is that same genius idea done to an uh, almost unimaginable scale um, that I, I don't think I've ever seen in a movie. Like, it, it's not like it's, it's not the implication of a large amount of people being wiped out. It's almost individually people being killed and then not just by our monster, but by the chaos that ensues. But we'll get there. It's almost like it's almost like uh, the only thing I can think of that really compare it with is like a train to Busan or something where you're just like. Oh, I recognize that got that goofy co-ed with the shorts or whatever. I recognize that girl from earlier, and now they both have their heads torn off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so, something I didn't really realize until like uh, 
just now that adds to how Piranha 3D like amplifies a lot of its laziness from like the already B movie roots of the nineteen seventy eight thing is that it takes place in the spring break and that's where yeah. the main amount of its action is while like the nineteen seventy eight Piranha most of it like from what I understand one of them is like it's like a it's like a community event. It's, the mayor is there and everything just like yeah. having a I think it's Fourth of July party with everyone. And like there's also the the little like summer camp for little kids. And those are the, the main arenas. We have Joe Francis's like sleazy uh sleazy boat ride around to like the same spot of water three different times. And uh and this spring break like celebration where everybody's like having wet t shirt contests and everything. It's like a really big like difference in in, uh, in attitude between those two yeah sides. yeah this, this yeah, one feels way out. more this one feels way more like classic exploitation like it's way more about horny teens a couple cops who try to help um, oh it's horny teams did. weekend yeah yeah it, whereas the original movie like i watched it last night it spends a lot lot more time uh worried uh about whether or not the kids are gonna get eaten by piranha and then uh, we see a scene of the, the, the kids getting, you know, bitten by the piranha. Uh, and then there's there's the scene where the, you know, the teens are getting attacked by piranha. It, it's there, but it's right after the kids are being attacked. And you're like, wait, hold on. You made a movie. You made an exploitation movie back in the day where um, you, you had a, a summer camp and uh the summer camp gets attacked by piranha while the kids are out swimming and those kids weren't like you know sexy ages they weren't like, i mean it is joe, joe, joe dante always kind of had that like joe dante was not the like exploitation type per- yeah. like all of his yeah. later and, movies that, showed yeah. that yeah yeah and that's probably some of the corman touch as well but he was like oh no no no, they're just children like they're they're they are uh they are fully victims. They're fully innocent. This is not like uh, a Friday the 13th style thing where they're like the, you know, the 17, 18, uh, you know, maybe 19 uh, year olds who are all like uh, trying to have sex with each other. Like, yeah, like I, I was saying sexy ages, like, you know, like the, the age where people are like extremely horny and also it's it, it's like socially acceptable to watch them have sex and get murdered on film uh, as opposed to eight year olds uh, or six year olds where it's not so socially acceptable to watch them get murdered on film yeah exactly. not yeah i mean it depends what social circles you hang out with but i think generally that's true it's really, um, yeah. it's real so dark. really quick yeah, uh yeah, yeah go, i'm go just gonna, sorry sorry jesus sorry. christ getting, no we're, no it's because yeah we're getting yeah. we're getting there we're we're hitting <laughs> points already really so <laughs> this is gonna be one of our classic uh we do the the plot recap and then do final thoughts uh almost but uh yeah so uh richard dreyfus in a boat he's fishing on the lake uh, all of a sudden, he gets uh, eaten in a whirlwind of piranhas that get released from an earthquake. These are prehistoric piranhas, as we find out later once we meet noted marine biologist uh, Christopher Lloyd's character from Back to the Future. Um, in a great moment. But, uh, yeah, so essentially they're on this lake. Elizabeth Shue, she's a cop. She's like, she has a couple kids. She's like, party weekend, one of my kids is in Vampire Diaries and sucks in that. Kind of sucks here, too. 
Uh, this kid is, of course, classic nice guy, deserves the girl, <laughs> but of course, uh, uh, he's involuntarily celibate. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's an insult. He's an insult, is what I'm saying. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, this, this other girl comes back from college that he clearly had a crush on. He's like, yeah, I'm just hanging out, uh, just having a good time, um, uh, but she's gonna go party on the lake. Because she's back from college and this dumb kid has to watch his younger brothers and sister who are like eight and ten years old. So after this, uh, uh, Joe, uh, why, why I really cannot remember his name. It's not Joe Rogan. It's not Francis. Joe Estevez. Joe Francis. Joe it's Francis. like my brain legitimately is trying to, to delete all memory of this person. Uh, Does it help that his name time. in the movie is Derek? Derek, played by, I think, my very favorite Jerry O'Connell role of all time. I'm not a huge Jerry O'Connell fan. The top two, at least. Yeah. What's what's your second? Stand by Stand me. Stand by me. Yeah. Yeah, but he's the worst in that movie. I love I love Vern. All right. I mean, I get it. Annoying. He's, he's good at older, playing Corey, the worst Corey, in that uh, movie. The Corey is bad as, as we get older. Yeah. But uh yeah, he is playing a Joe Francis type who's like, "Hey, you're you're a dumb kid, you can come show me show me around." And this dumb kid, who I don't even care his name, uh decides, "Yeah, I'm going to leave my brother and sister. And I'm going to go uh go on the boat with these uh with these people who are going to, to make pornography uh and be filmed by Paul Shear." Uh and uh while his his crush uh, he runs into on the way to the boat when everyone's partying. She comes on the boat as well. And essentially, they're out shooting pornography. Meanwhile, Elizabeth Shue, other cops like Ving Rhames, uh, find out that there's been this death that they investigate. It leads them to uh, uh, noted uh, noted uh, actor. I don't know. This is uh, uh, Adam Scott, who yeah. uh, drives... I'm actually forgetting what his job is in this movie, which is why I said no to that. I think he uh, I put was water nerd. I think he was a seismologist there to investigate the earthquake, but don't cut uh, it. Don't hold me to it. I yeah. watched it two nights ago, and I cannot remember what his yeah. job was supposed to be. He's a Anyways, water nerd. Water nerd. So he takes him around. He's like probably an underground lake there, and they discover that there's these piranhas, which they then bring to Christopher Lloyd, who's a marine biologist in the area. And he's like, these piranhas are dead. Uh, these are prehistoric piranhas. Uh, and so everyone's like, oh, shit. Well, that seems bad. We should, uh, you know, so they try to get everyone out of the lake. It's not working because these co-eds just don't care for authority. They uh, they uh, believe killing in the name of is specifically about uh, their right to party and not uh, racism and police brutality. Um <laughs> So they're doing the one thing cops are supposed to movies are really good at finding the perfect application for cops because they just eliminate every other aspect of their job. Yeah. What if <laughs> there's a piranha situation? You're going to want those cops. Sure. Uh, I guess the people that are legally allowed to tote guns can help here. I don't know, man. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the guns do way more help than you would think they do. Yeah, for a piranha movie, the original, yeah, for a the piranha original movie, movie, they 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 murder them very pa- like almost passively, like they poison the water, and that's the only way piranha get killed. And this Ving Rhames is like it, like his character sh- in Dawn sh- of the Dead, is <laughs> <laughs> using a fucking pump shotgun and just shooting into the water. <laughs> get out. Uh, anyway, 
Uh, so so they they they're like, oh shit, this is gonna be bad. So meanwhile, the boat Joe, uh, they they find um, his brother and sister who went on a canoe got stranded on an island. Um, he's like, you gotta rescue rescue them. And Derek's like, what do you mean I gotta rescue them? I'm shooting pornography here. And um, he's like, my mom's a cop. And he's like, all right, fine, fuck you. So they. Um, <laughs> They go rescue the kids, but then they don't know how to drive the boat out of shallow water, end up getting stuck, and then end up um, getting uh, permanently stuck on a rock. Uh, and uh, the, the 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 boat has a glass bottom for better pornography for underwater pornography shooting. That breaks, and pretty soon it's chaos. People start dying. Uh, Derek ultimately falls into the water and gets his dick bit off, and then regurgitated at the camera. And what I really love about this movie, it's all at once that all the all the partiers on the lake complete with wet t-shirt contests, people on boats, people playing music, like a, a stage and a stand. Everything falls apart at once and the piranhas start attacking. And in the midst of that, of the chaos of all the boats and people trying to uh, not die because there's thousands of people, a bunch of people also accidentally kill a, a bunch of people. So it's not just the piranhas, it's... Uh, a boat propeller, like, killing at least probably 100 people as they indiscriminately try to get back out of the water or uh, people trying to shoot stuff that accidentally gets people killed. Uh, and these very wonderful gore effects that are mostly not CGI. Um, this actually held the record for the most fake blood used on a movie until another movie we've already talked about, Evil Dead. Yep. Um, I don't know what the current record holder is. Maybe it's still Evil Dead, but uh, there, there's a there's literally they had tankers of real blood and they spent a lot of time on some of the after effects. So it wasn't just all CGI. And it's very much worth it. So uh, Sorry, by Shoot, real blood, you mean fake blood, but exists in reality. It is not pixels. Uh, no, they uh, they robbed a Red Cross. It's why there's still the blood shortage in this country. <laughs> they had a bunch of that, but a bunch of that garbage blood uh, that that they're just not using. So they're like, they they're like, use. Yeah, they're like, Aja, like, but be it's like, negative. It's, it's in water. Like we can just actually, we, do we really need even fake blood? We could just dye the water red. He's like real blood. I'm French. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, yeah. So Elizabeth Shue is like uh, gets a call from her kid. Is like I'm so sorry, mom. I went to go <laughs> be a location scout on a pornography movie. Uh, also, your other two kids are here. Uh, with me whoopsie daisies and she takes adam scott they go to rescue most people die except uh her blood relatives and uh and the incels crush um and uh they they explode the boat which uh, is like dynamite fishing kills all the piranhas kills a lot of the piranhas they're like oh i got it we just blow we just throw some explosives into the water and it's gonna kill them all and then around that time when they feel like they've had their victory uh, Christopher Lloyd's like, hey, I just did a medical examination on this piranha. It has no sex organs, which means it's a baby. Uh, and, you know, great ending tag. Adam Scott's like, huh, wonder where the parents are. A giant piranha takes him out of the boat, eats him, cuts to credits. Uh, yeah. And that is the movie that we've already talked very specifically about quite a bit. Uh, but yeah, let's spend a little bit more time on the chaos scene at spring break because before we get to the chaos scene, can I like oh yeah something that I just realized that bugs me for like yeah. being a location scout? 
the place and the places that like he brought like Joe Francis knockoff too. From what we see, like everything that guy shot was like either underwater or like <laughs> pointed within the interior of the boat. Like nothing actually looking out to like the the uh, the landscapes of like the <laughs> lake that he's been at. And to be fair, it's, it's I mean I don't think they're getting the underwater photography that we get because we have like that new like lovely Lachme um, homage where like Kelly Brook and the other woman whose name I'm forgetting I think it's right or something are like doing like ballets underwater while new which is like a ridiculously like hilarious straight face like classical Spongebob put your pinky up moments that, that was like really great to watch in 3D I think it's like the best moment of like John Arley and Eddie's career which I like I don't care for him as a cinematographer and I care for him even, even less as a director uh, that guy like directed like two of the worst movies I've ever seen one that's pretty close um, <laughs> Annabelle and Mortal Kombat Annihilation if you guys want to know uh, oh yeah no. Mortal Kombat Annihilation <laughs> is, is fucking but, terrible but yeah it's just like ridiculous that like they're not really shooting like at the location they're just shooting at the water for like somebody who had to like basically Shanghai and threaten the kid into like showing him all the <laughs> spots that we're not really going to yeah. I mean, to be fair, as the movie progresses, Derek reveals himself as a complete coked out sociopath. Yeah. Uh, who doesn't care if kids die. So I can see him being like, yeah, local kid. Great. Can you show me down? Can you show me what? <laughs> show me where the best way to shoot down is. <laughs> like, that seems to fit with someone who is just uh, kind of a complete lunatic. Like, I really do love this performance. And it is yeah. so... It's so cruel to him in the best way. It's it's rare that a movie could be this cruel to a character and for the audience to not feel some sympathy towards them at some point or just feel like it's it's um, being a little bit too blasé about like the absolute <laughs> torture and pain this this quote-unquote human being has gone through and by making it a joe francis parody they have removed any element of empathy in a very genius move so that they can they can have him be his 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 entire bottom torso stripped down while he's still alive recognizes his penis has been bitten off then we see the piranha regurgitate his penis and then they use him uh, when he's still somewhat alive to help other people escape. <laughs> it's so good. It's like at no point are you like, oh, my God, they're really treating this bad, this person poorly. Like, I know he's a monster, but he's still a human being. At no point do you feel even like a modicum of sympathy for him. Uh, yeah. So let's talk about the let's talk about Derek real quick. Um. The so this is a Weinstein the Ricky Gervais TV show on Netflix <laughs> the Jerry the Jerry O'Connell character oh okay thank you you got no sympathy for him when he gets his no. uh, his peen chomped off he gets chomped a few times um and he is he's this sort of guy who like he's he's uh he's shown as a predator immediately um and the film like outlines him as a dangerous predator the further away they get from crowds basically like 
the more isolated he is, the more dangerous he is because the more control, almost control he has over the situation. Like it's his boat and it's his crew and it's his money. And what the fuck are you doing out here if you're not doing exactly what I want? And he, this uh, is like this is like what Mac was worried about in that episode of It's Always Sunny when if Dennis got a boat. Because of the because of the implication um and so uh is this guy like is this somebody that like harvey weinstein loved and then they he was like i want to make this movie because this guy rules uh and then like he like is what was he gonna say paul Shearer is like says he like likes innocence and uh he and then later derek says this gratitude was uh curious. oh you're talking about the no thanks gratitude line. is the right attitude yeah, because there's that line where where uh, the incel guy is like, hey, she said no. And he's like, no, she said no thanks, which is expressing gratitude. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Like that he, he's he's on a power trip and he'll grab whatever power he can within the moment. And like his creepery is basically like getting everyone on the ship as loaded as possible so he can take advantage of them. And then when 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 the shit goes down, he like completely acquiesces all responsibility. Like he's a total he's a total fucking Weinstein guy. Or I would posit like a Joe Francis type. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but the fact that it was made by this is similar to our repulsion episode in episode two of the show, um, where uh, it's it's interesting to see somebody like Roman Polanski tout feminist ideals. It's interesting to see a movie that is like uh, specifically about how there's these creepy fucking dudes who like. Oh. I see why you're exhibit powers of control. And then, like, this is a fucking. This is a dimension film. This is all Weinstein. Yeah, I forgot it was a. I forget that dimension is like a a Weinstein film. So I was like, yeah, I mean, he's a a sex creep. But yeah, Yeah. he. I mean, he probably, like, his notes were like, why'd you kill kill the hero? Put his dick (laughs) back. Exactly, exactly. Like, and and, uh, there's a. um, So the writer of Scream. Kevin Williamson just got interviewed on on uh, Shockwaves for uh, to talk about uh, his history with the Weinstein's and like how he ended up, you know, essentially getting worked uh, uh, pushed to work on Cursed, despite the fact that he was like very much not mm-hmm. into it. And like hearing how Harvey and Bob worked during that period uh, is fucking nuts and it gives you a big peek into these dimension movies and how like behind the scenes all of these there's probably not a single person who who produced or wrote or directed these movies that wasn't physically threatened by the Weinsteins like they they were fucking monsters on every degree yeah but if they could take down Steven Spielberg you got to be concerned about what they could do to you God, but yeah. So, so yeah, I I love I love the Derek character, and not like personally, but like I love the the way he's written because like they, they take little time in a movie that's not subtle at all. They take little moments to throw out very like subtly written lines that Jerry O'Connell delivers. Where I'm like, yeah. oh, like they're highlighting a very specific kind of toxic douchebag that's in power. That like yeah, I, I, when the moment finally comes where he gets devoured, it's just so good. It's, it's so, so satisfying, and it's great that, again, it's not that he gets killed, it's that they maim him, and then they go back to, like, continually stomp on his corpse, which 
again, I cannot think – there's so many movies where they do that in like a gleeful fashion where even from a villain perspective, you're like, this kind of sucks. Like, yeah. They're, they're going too far and they just – by lining it up with the Joe Francis's and the Harvey Weinstein's of, of the world, like they make someone who is so beyond – like redemption that they're allowed to do all of these things and it doesn't feel cruel. And I think, you know, we talked about yeah, of cruelty is just I, funnier. I mean, there's yeah. like, uh, I mean, in the, in the slasher genre, you know, you're, you're full of like all these expendable main characters that like were expected yeah. to like cheer for their death and like expect their death, which I mean, if you're a slasher fan like me, is a fair assumption to make, but at the same time, a lot of these are just like the worst they've done is like have sex and like yeah. cheat on their girlfriend, maybe, but like nothing that actually in real life would warrant this kind of violence against them. And Derek is like yeah. such a contemptible kind of like person that he's somebody you're actually rooting for his downfall. He's he's pretty clearly the villain in the movie, despite not being a piranha monster of CGI that's like crawling away from him. He's he's the one that like these characters are like in an immediate threat of. Um, there's like something in Crawl that's like because Crawl is notable in that like the two characters because they're like well I guess Aja decided not to have them like killed. But then Crawl has like three characters like leading a uh, a nearby gas station for the most part that seem fine except like one of them and like it's hilarious to me but, it, but like right as like this woman is about to get eaten by like uh an alligator the the very shot that like has her like crawling on the boat away from the alligator has her hood like come down to review she's got like white girl dreads and immediately i'm like okay oh yeah, yeah go for it go for it gator <laughs> so like I think yeah like, and that's that is always the tough line like yeah. how do you show like the kind of exploitation that you're right like a whether it's a slasher or a horror film that like I enjoy like there is definitely a place in movies for uh, showing whatever the craziest effect that someone behind the scenes can come up with and how do you do it in a way that doesn't feel like joy uh, cruel in, yeah in exactly a way that, that that separates you from the movie. And, like, I mean, I think the reason why Piranha is able to, like, lean into that, like, totally unsubtle, like, repulsiveness regarding the Derek characters, because it's a movie that encourages that. It's it's a, yeah. it's an over-the-top movie. That's that's the idea. You gotta be over-the-top. You gotta have Christopher Lloyd going, like, great Scott about a Piranha. You gotta have, like, Derek being like the most scummiest fucking person possible. He's not the only scummy person we see like a bunch of them in the spring break. That's what it gets away with. I think Propeller Girl doesn't deserve that death, but still it's like the most like awesome like death effect that like so, Oh you are you talking about Hang Glider Girl or Propeller Girl? I mean both of them actually. I mean but Propeller Girl especially, that one looks like really Really oh gnarly, especially in 3D. If you see it in 3D, like, I, the way it feels when you watch like the skin get pulled off the skull. Yeah, I've never seen that. That scene still kind of like gave me a little jolt watching it for like the third or fourth time. Yeah, 
uh, this time around. And but you're right though, like so that's so I would say arguably at the at the death scene uh, or the, the the fireworks factory scene when the, when the piranhas uh, stormed the lake, um, much like you know other people that stormed <laughs> stormed the beach, uh, were uh, they made movies about as heroes, but not these piranhas. Yeah. Um, this is there's no there's no P day. I don't, I don't know if that joke works at all. <laughs> Talk about World War II. Uh, anyway, uh, these, um, uh, but it's like Todd, the asshole who is dating the, uh, or has dated or has a crush on, or I don't even know the relation, uh, the, 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 the girl that, that, uh, uh, that Steve McQueen's character, that's Steve, or sorry, Stephen McQueen's character. Yeah, that's like the three incel. Steve McQueens now. There's too many. I mean, if you had the last name McQueen and you had a, a, a son, you'd probably be somewhat tempted to name him Steve at this point. Yeah, but he has but, to be uh, enough to earn. Yeah, I guess this guy did not. I mean, I I did watch the first few seasons of Vampire Diaries, and he fucking sucks on that show. So I have a lot of just general hatred for him. Um, but. Yeah, like this guy Derek, who is uh, the person who is like, I'm the asshole boyfriend. I just like partying and I probably cheat on my girlfriend a lot. His like attempt to escape in the boat kills hundreds of people, probably yeah. more than the piranhas. I, uh, that sequence is so good because like that captures the hedonism of what this party scene actually is. Because the movie yeah. both thinks this hedonism is like fun and sed- seductive. But also is like there's a shitty dark side to it. This shitty dark side is characters like Derek and the fact that like or Eli are, Roth and these people are not yet yeah, Eli Roth doing a wet t-shirt contest. Um, very much leaning into his stereotype at the time as like college dude bro uh, frat guy. Um, when I was like and, when I was rewatching this and I saw Eli Roth in it, the first thing that popped into my mind was that quote he made uh, when he was it. When he was acting in Gross Bastards and planning, oh, I'm only going to act for directors who have won the Palm Door. And now, look where you are. <laughs> <laughs> One year later. One year later. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so he, uh, but yeah, so the, the, I think that that sequence is, is a fantastic way to sort of, um, add even more satiric contrast to the sort of beautiful bodies being torn apart in a beautiful sun, beautiful, you know, sunny place. Um, because it's like, uh, it's showing how the hedonism is not actually building a community. The hedonism is actually building a very selfish attitude where people are, are only as useful as they can be until they're not useful. And like, yeah. <laughs> like there's lots of little sequences of people turning on each other or laughing at each other for, you know, fucking up. And it, it's like clearly not a healthy environment to hang out in. This is not like an idealized version of a college party the way like, you know, um, lots and lots of movies portray this is this is supposed to be like showing you that all these people would turn on each other in a second if they they had the opportunity that's such a great call out because it is it is true it's at no point does the and again i'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with going and having a college party i went to many of them i went to i mean i spent spring break in canada but uh uh we didn't we didn't hang out on the beaches we were able to drink legally and that was important at bars but like but there is you're right there is like that kind of mtv trl that glorification of like um of maybe not like the party vibe but the kind of like uh 
just general date rate atmosphere. Like, men are there to fuck. Women are there to get fucked. Like, well, welcome to MTV. I'm Carson Daly. Like, um, <laughs> and it's not it, like, coming from a prudish place, clearly. Like, there's, no, there's not shots a prudish of place. Admiring, there's that beautiful underwater slow mo shot of the two uh, girls gone wild, uh, adult actors, whatever, uh, swimming, and it's yeah. it's gorgeous. I imagine in 3D, it's amazing. It like transcends horniness into like just pure beauty. Um, like the, the movie understands that like all this stuff is super super fucking appealing it's not coming from it from a prudish place it's coming from a place where it's like hey here's what happens when you treat each other like objects yeah I think like one of my favorite instances of the movie trying to like show that in addition to like this hedonism you know the, this indictment of hedonism that like you totally pulled out of the film that's like really impressive for you I gotta say um, there's like that that opening moment where like the 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 little sister of uh, of Steve McQueen's character, fucking Steve. Stephen R. I'll try to remember that, but uh, the little sister of his character is like just sitting down next to Kelly Brook, and she, all she goes is like, "Oh, I like your moves." Like in in this totally like straightforward, godless way, and it's just like a little girl saying it, basically yeah. giving the. The, the mission statement of the whole movie to begin with so yeah yeah that's a, <laughs> yeah. that is yes. kind of a sweet scene um it's why like uh and also i want to get back to uh like you guys have both talked about the underwater like nudity scene i do <laughs> like that that is such an obvious like oh i think as long as i have the budget to do this this would be super cool to do and probably even um even better to do in 3d because obviously there's no Joe Francis type in the world who's like his whole thing is like oh just make what you're wearing right now come up come come up slightly for a little bit like okay I'm gonna actually shoot like the most arty underwater can you guys hold your breath for ten minutes each because we're <laughs> gonna need it I need a bottomless boat um I need everyone to be very silent during the shot like uh it's it's funny how like uh, Aja is like. Okay, well, I am going to do something kind of cool with this, but, like, we're going to pretend it's Joe Francis that wants to do it. Can we talk about Christopher Lloyd a little? Yeah, absolutely. He, he sh- I, I'm just going to say Adam Scott should have been named Marty because when he calls him, he has the exact same cadence as Marty. <laughs> <laughs> like, why fucking not at that point? You know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Though, like, I also just love the fact that Christopher Lloyd, in his like, I, I hope he's at this point so independently wealthy. He only does movies for fun. I hope. Um, but I guarantee he's not. Yeah, <laughs> all of his popular movies were before they had good uh, residual contracts. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And I, I mean, what was it? Taxi was a was a, a franchise show. Do you think that made him much money? No. Oh, okay. Anyways, uh, I mean, Richard Dreyfus, who's also in this movie, said like five years after this, he was completely broke. Ooh. That's crazy. Wait, how though? I thought the Dreyfuses were fucking loaded. Uh, I don't remember the circumstance, but I, I, I don't think Richard Dreyfus like did like a. I don't remember him buying dinosaur skulls. <laughs> he didn't go the Nicolas Cage route. No, like the Wesley Snipes. I mean, I don't know. Like he just said that. Uh, yeah, he had, I mean, I think it was, I'm, I, I'm not going to get it right from memory from something I read three or four years ago, but like something, you know, 
bad people managing his money and like a career that went from, you know, being nominated for Academy Awards and starring with some of the biggest directors to like getting bit parts in, in movies. Yeah. There's a lot of people who suddenly became accessible who, uh, you know, could show up in movies like Red um, and just collect a paycheck next to, you know, Bruce Willis. Um, it's it's always hard. Like, I know I, I'm not I'm not uh, saying anyone should feel sympathetic for people that used to make more, especially when it's millionaires now. But it's I imagine it's always hard to downscale a lifestyle and all of a sudden you just can be out of money someday. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's Hollywood, right? Like, that's why you have to. The only people that really like do do well are people that pretend like they're gonna get paid zero dollars the next five years. And it's then- why Jay Leno has never touched his Tonight Show oh. money. Did you know that, Peter? This guy. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Touch his money. Did, did you know this? Have you heard about this? <laughs> so this guy. <laughs> Okay, someone be the Kevin Eubanks. Just go, whoa, Jay. Whoa, Jay. Whoa. Uh, Yeah, this guy, rich asshole. No kids. Tons of cars, possibly. Um, He doesn't touch his Tonight Show money. Uh, He might... Also, is he like 75? Touch your Tonight Show money, dude. Like, You might not go poor, but you're going to die. That's the ultimate example of a a rich person trying to... uh, <laughs> rich person trying to show off their humility and then you're like My wife. oh wait hold on so you mean you've got like you're just hoarding 600 wealth. million dollars <laughs> sitting there that you're not touching is this supposed to make me feel it's like when when people are like did you know bill gates drives a volvo it's like who gives a shit he's got a billion dollars he could buy a hummer every yeah. day and it doesn't matter uh yeah mavis is like spend the money i'm like no mavis that's all I know his wife's name is Mavis. But he is 70. I just looked it up. Like, you're going to die, dude. Give your money to something worthwhile if you don't need it. Yeah. He'll 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 do, he'll do it, right? Like he'll he'll give his money up to cuz he doesn't have kids. Like he'll, some billionaire will be like it won't be signed. I'm going to buy uh I'm buy one really big car. <laughs> <laughs> just the biggest car I can get. It won't be signed. Like here, I want a car that. that's 100 million dollars. Hold on, hold on, shots are done. It's amazing when these guys could uh, entirely change the economy of a town and uh, <laughs> and fix everything, but instead they're a like country in some cases. I, yeah, I haven't touched my Tonight Show money. You're like, shut the fuck up, shut the do fuck up. He, do, you th- do you think he touches his Jay Leno's garage money, which is apparently also a show he hosts? No, Wait, what? Says it's been running from 2014 to present. It's supposed to be like a Tonight Show style thing, He's but like, he also you- shows up as cars. It would be great if it was really, like, literal, like he's really trying to be common man. He's like, I know I put that box of our uh, Christmas stuff in here somewhere. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to look around for a while. Not a word describing like Jay Leno's wealth building, but imagine his, his chin on Smouth Dragon. <laughs> That's true. Just like, <laughs> Smouth's like... <laughs> Smog's like, I never touched my desolation money. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, it'd be great though, like if they made a if they made a piranha movie with a Jay Leno stand-in, like it'd be his chin that gets bitten off and like regurgitated at the audience oh, in three D. <laughs> uh, we've talked about Jay Leno a few times this this summer because of uh, he's because fuck that guy because he gets because he gets uh, his stand-in dash his real person gets murdered in Dawn of the Dead. I don't know what he'd be doing in Wisconsin, so it must be just someone that looks like him. Um, I also think that uh, 
the reason we joke about it the most is because sometimes when you're hosting a podcast and you can't think of a transition, you say dumb shit like, have you heard about this? You ever thought about this? <laughs> <laughs> so you realize that, I mean, I don't make, I don't make Tonight Show money. Um, but, uh, yeah, this movie also, speaking of podcasts, this, uh, movie stars two people that do or have done in the past some of my favorite podcasts. Like, how did this get made? Early on, and uh, you talking you two to me, and or are you talking REM re me? Yeah, I I, I should have found out. I should have found out if uh, if how did this get made? Did a piranha episode? They have not. Uh, I actually cool. looked it up. So that means you have to come to us. Can we talk about two characters really quickly? We we're talking about uh, Jake Steve R McQueen. Is that his name? Yeah. Oh, Jake. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, we can talk about Jake. Uh, Steve Real McQueen. <laughs> dude if his middle name was real that would rule like that i would take really like every bad thing be really just because good. like you're already kind of fuck like fucking with your kid a little bit like my parents had 10 kids they didn't name one of a meal like they understood that that might be a problem <laughs> for them. this fucking middle like, name is chadwick 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 even chadwick chadwick is of course how do we let people real. know you're also a rich asshole, probably, that you come from? <laughs> Chadwick, yikes. I, I mean, he comes from nepotism. His dad is film producer Chad McQueen, who I've never heard of. Chadwick McQueen, okay, so I don't know why he's uh, <laughs> named that way. Known when your that. name is Chad, but you want to be loathsome in a different trajectory. <laughs> <laughs> Chadwick Stephen McQueen. <laughs> well, he came from my dick. We're not going to call him Chad Dick. <laughs> <laughs> Known for playing Dutch in the Karate Kid and the Karate Kid Part 2. Let me, let me fix the name. Chad Hogg. Uh, <laughs> Chad Hogg? Chad Wog? He's listed as an actor, film producer, martial artist, and race contractor. His dad. His dad is? Yeah. This guy's well, dad. I mean, I assume he didn't get jobs based on his acting talent. I saw the first four seasons of Vampire Diaries, guys. <laughs> Um. He, so he, his only defining characteristic is in this movie he likes boobs and good music. He's a nice guy. Like he likes the Pixies and he likes like you know like fun alternative '90s bands that everyone actually likes. Um, oh shit! Wait, wait, boobs. Wait. Sorry, I just found out that like his dad is the son of Steve McQueen. So that guy's related to Steve. Oh, that, okay. That well, I, I guess you can name your kid Stephen McQueen. Yeah. Fucking grandson of Steve. Okay, we know where he gets his acting jobs. Yeah, uh, yeah, he he inherited none of Steve McQueen's. Uh, I guess it skips of oh, four generations. Jake's an interesting character because, like, the whole thing with Kelly is basically like he both wants to be like a horny baby pervert, um, but he also like wants an actual romantic relationship with Kelly. It's very much like. Him being sort of between those two worlds, like, you know, an, an actual, like, good person and also like, yeah, I'll go on the Girls Gone Wild boat. <laughs> like, the fact that he doesn't have morals and he's willing to chase, you know, and it, that sort of opportunity um, is, um, though, obviously, I think this porn boat seems a lot less exploitive on the surface before he gets on the boat. Um, bef before he gets on, like, they were both hired actors. Uh, anyways, so... Um, Let me ask you a quick, uh, quick boat question, Peter. Yeah. Better boat to be on. 
the boat in Piranha. I know you're going. Or I know I tried to slow it down so that you knew exactly where I was going. <laughs> or the boat that featured uh, uh, t- uh, t- that featured two shipmates called Christopher Walken, Robert Wagner, Santa from North Pole. Which which boat do you think <laughs> was? <laughs> Uh, Santa from the film North Santa Hall. from from the, the the Hallmark movie starring Tiffany Thiessen. I mean, survival rate technically better on the Piranha Boat. <laughs> <laughs> Are we including? We're including the children, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, they survive. Yeah. Okay. Then yeah, the survival rate. I don't I mean, know if the not, percent- it's, it's percentage wise, I'm not sure if that's true, but like total survivors. Yeah, I think the, sur- it is. the survival rate is uh, is, is much higher, I would say. Yeah, on the Piranha 3D boat than uh, the boat that fatefully took Robert Wagner and Christopher Walken in, in an alley wood out on that <sighs> on that day. Since all three of us are guys, we're good on the on the Wagner and uh, the Wagner <laughs> the, the Wagner walking wood boat. Wow, that's yeah. Say that three times fast. Look, Peter. All I'm saying is, what happened on that boat? What did happen on that fucking boat? Uh, yeah, but yeah, better survival rate on the Piranha boat, uh, which yes. I guess is telling. Like, if you, yeah. <laughs> but you're right, Salim. We would probably have a better chance of surviving the walking uh, Wagner boat. <laughs> Um, we are not the spouses of either of them, so they do not. No, now, if us. one of us were married to Robert Wagner, yeah, then we're then we're done for. Then we're in a lot of trouble. Oh yeah, especially if our star is starting to eclipse yeah. anyone else on the boat. Probably, we got like we'd allegedly, be, we'd be like worse off on the boat than we are like at OJ's house that fateful night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 I don't think you need to say allegedly though when you talk about G. Simpson at this point. <laughs> yeah, if we're considering Paul Shear to have survived uh, this movie, Wait, uh, but here's the thing: he doesn't evacuate from the boat. So how does he survive? Oh, I, th- I thought he did. Considering the sequel canon, you have to take that into the percentages. And at the at the at the the uh, at the, the OJ the site of the OJ Simpson murder. Uh, there was a 66 to the way that you phrased that made death. it sound way happier than it actually is, Peter. Yeah. The site <laughs> of the OJ Simpson murder sounds great to me, rate, which is yeah. way higher than on the piranha boat. Yep. On the wildgirlsonline.com chartered <laughs> yacht or whatever. Look, all we're trying to say, this is only scientific. We're just trying to say, percentage-wise, one of the safest places you could be in the world is on the Piranha Boat. All right. Compared to, the, compared to being on a boat with Robert Wagner, yes. Sign me up for the Piranha Boat, then. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly. Sorry, the, the, close parentheses, allegedly, so it covers the whole thing, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. but I'm glad you, like, brought up, uh, Aaron, I think, I'm, I think it was you. I'm glad you brought up how confusing it is to like figure out what happened to Paul Shear's character. I didn't know he survived because I don't remember him falling off of the boat. I don't remember no. him getting off the boat at all. Uh, I didn't know he survived until like I checked the Wikipedia article like after this rewatch. So like that was how I was able to tell that he survived. But like that that was how. I was do you able- think? Do you think like he's like he called them and is like, all right. 
what time are we meeting again today to shoot? And they're like, oh, it was earlier. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. We'll just assume, like, much like uh, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you ascended into heaven (laughs) at some point. He had to go back to his planet. Yeah. All right, guys, this is wild. I'm going to go back to Neptune, where I'm from. Subplot. My scumbag brain is making an association with, like, Paul Shearer's disappearance on the boat, and Natalie Wood's disappearance on the boat. So what the <laughs> fuck have you guys done to me, bro? Yeah, she could be dead. <laughs> yeah, it'd be weird if, like, Natalie Wood shows up in the next West Side Story movie. Go, I guess she was fine. Maybe would, too far. At least she would be like. Peter's editing this one, so he gets to decide what's funny and what's. Not. I am the ultimate, <laughs> ultimate arbiter of, of protecting both your reputations. I'll take care of it. Um, <laughs> do, do, do you uh, think Eric, that's what Christopher Walken said to Robert Wagner? <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're both so guilty. <laughs> I don't know if we're pulling out of this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's do final thoughts. Let's do final yeah. thoughts. Salim, do you want to go first? You you were the one that was very pumped about this do, doing this movie. I am very glad that we got an opportunity to talk about this movie. Aaron was also pumped to talk about it. So like this feels like a this feels like a home run kind of kind of uh, uh, pick here. So Salim, why don't you kick us off with the final thoughts? What do you what do you think of Piranha? Absolutely. Uh, I have you know. I had a lot of fun the first time I watched it in 3D. I still had a lot of fun this, this second time that I watched it in 2D. Uh, you know, it's exactly what it is on the tin in a way that I don't... I mean, I prefer the original Piranha, but this remake, you know, is much more exactly what it is on the tin. Go to see a movie of Piranha to see a bunch of Piranha, like, run around, uh, even people with, like, ridiculous gore effects, boobs in your face, especially in 3D. And, uh, you know, I think, like, Alexander Asha went ahead and, like, him and the rest of the team brought a lot of, like, care to that material. They, they, they care about the, the craft of, like, the gore effects and all that. And I am a sucker for, like, a really good gore effect. Um, Eli Watts' death is, like, I mean, there's Propeller Girl we talked about. There's, uh, we didn't go too much into detail, but, like, paragliding girl whose, like, body just, like, gets like goes and sinks into the water and then suddenly we see like there's nothing left of what went into the water. You know, um But the, the rest floats up. The what's it called Bing Rams is like, you know, the the gigantic like propeller moment where it just like cuts through like the piranha like like he's Ken Forey and fucking Dark the Dead. Um Yeah. I, I really like Eli Roth's death specifically because of like the impact that the cut gives it once he's like hit with the boat and we see like his his entire skull like crunch and like go into it and all that. Uh something that uh, I uh, didn't get a chance to mention this but like uh, I'll mention it now. The editing for like the chaos scene is really, really good. As like so a, good. a really frenetic like sense of like uh, ridiculous pacing. It's also the moment where I recognize most of my friends in it but like <laughs> so so like the the shots are barely there but like it's there enough to like get us like disoriented uh seeing like red in the water and then seeing like everyone else screaming and more red in the water and all that and uh i i looked it up and the editor 
And I remember this was the case in the movie too, but now I'm reminded the editor was only credited by the name Baxter. Baxter. So I tried to figure out who this guy was because he's not Kirk Baxter who he's, edited. And he's Zon. not yeah, Baxter the, Stockman, the noted guy. man who turned into a fly. <laughs> but uh, props to you, Baxter, for that for that chaotic like uh, death scene. Other than that, the frenzy, so yeah, good. Yeah, the frenzy. Other than that, yeah, I just you know it's it's a movie made by folks who like. Just wanted to have fun. Wanted us to get in on that fun. I'm sure, a lot of that fun is like exploitative and tawdry and all that. But like, you know, you can't see if you really want to see like high trash. Those people not able to fucking solve Same year, yeah. <laughs> You could literally leave Piranha 3D and go to the social network. Yeah, exactly. Probably. Yeah, I think they came. Um, yeah, they didn't come out around sometime. <laughs> well, it could be second run. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. My, I. I echo that. Like, I just, I really do love this movie. And it, it, it has so many descripting descriptors that normally would be like trigger words for me to avoid. Like, over the top, like, exploitative, like, goofy and it, it like lands all of it it's not like like to salim's point it's not high art but it is so much of what i l- want out of a horror movie uh sometimes like sometimes i want to be scared sometimes i want to be creeped out and sometimes i want excess and this movie is excess to a t and it also just features that sequence that we've talked about a lot that's like I, I cannot think of anything that compares to the scale of the slaughter that occurs combined with the level of detail. It is like showing you a large group of people all getting like murdered by animal slashers and other people all at once. But it's not doing it like, okay, here's – it's actually showing scale like – uh, in a way that you rarely see in horror or action movies. Like, sure, the Death Star explodes. Alderaan explodes. Yeah. We d- we don't see, like, countless cities and each individual person burning. It's like, it, the whole thing is like this complex Rube Goldberg that has all these different pieces happening at once and then zooms in on, like, okay, this person dying here leads to this person doing this action and it spends all the time to show like this how how this these these thousands of spring breakers all die in gory horrific ways uh all in these little like intimate moments for the most part and then when it does scale like the initial piranha attack or uh that dude blowing through the boat it does it in this very like intense and visceral way and i will say even like so let's let's put all that aside the one thing that we didn't mention too there is an escape scene from the boat uh the piranha boat before it explodes that is like legitimately tense and like scary and how like um the whole thing is shot like a thriller that i think really shows like why aja was able to go and do something like uh like a uh crawl 
which oh, is like yeah. all these like uh, intense moments of like how close you are to death. And the fact that he throws that in like, hey, we've done goofy, we've done gory, we've done funny. Uh, I'm actually going to give you a, a legitimately tense like edge of your seat uh, scene just shows what a talented director he is. And um, I'm glad Crawl was a big success. I was worried post Piranha like where his career was going to go and and there wasn't that much that's like either I haven't seen or it's just not something that gets a lot of attention and I just I hope he's continuing to get these like 20 30 million dollar budgets to just make whatever he wants cuz he's so good at setting up all the pieces and knocking them down um so my final thoughts real quickly uh Aaron knows that means it's going to take about 10 minutes uh the final shot is sort of this like ain't I a stinker moment where it's it, it feels less like they're setting up a sequel though they clearly were um and more like they're just like hey none of this hey none of this matters like this is this is like sort of a nihilistic sort of goofy satiric film this is not supposed to be a film where you know the the uh the fates of our characters matter and we want to see Adam scott and elizabeth shoe go off into the sunset and be happily uh, you know happily forever after though they both are very attractive um this isn't that kind of movie uh this is supposed to be taking place on on a high on a sort of uh heightened plane um this is not supposed to be this sort of like grounded real thing where you can see the person's life before you can see the life after this is taking place within a specific context and context is super important for this because uh i think if you're watching this movie it's it's it reminds me of spring breakers in a way where and if you're watching it in a specific context you'd go oh this is a dumb fucking like you know party movie about like some some kids going out and doing crazy shit and then like you know there's some some repercussions but whatever like uh it's, it's ultimately just like a you know hedonistic exercise like that's how the movie begins and it really reels you in slowly uh pun intended um where it is trying to establish the fun and the hedonism, but not from this like uh, this this sort of um, patriarchal or even like I don't know uh, grandfatherly like you know uh, like oh yeah these kids are having fun but they're not gonna be having fun soon like no the the movie plays like dubstep at full blast and like <laughs> has these like like beautiful people beautiful young people bouncing around in the water and beautiful locales and like. If you don't, and, and then it slowly starts to show its hand that it's actually going to have something to say that's somewhat satirical about the situation, um, and in a way that like sometimes when people watch horror movies, they like kind of oh I know what this is after ten minutes, and then they kind of just lock into that. This is a movie that betrays that because if you just treat this as like oh well yeah it's just a hedonistic exercise, and then at the end we're going to see a bunch of these these annoying coeds get torn apart, you're going to get the movie you wanted. But if you actually, like, are patient with the movie and wait for it to establish its characters over the first 45 minutes, like, you're going to be rewarded with something far more interesting and sounds like something that the the sequel did not deliver. Um, Because I I think when I was first watching that, I was like, shit, this is going to be a sexist-ass, gross movie. Um, But the context, the context really, really matters because it's slowly reeling you into this hedonism. And then at the same time, it's operating within this sort of slasher genre. I know it's more of a creature feature, but it, 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 it the way the co-eds are getting slaughtered at the end is way more uh, akin to the slasher genre. Um, and, and the fact that the slasher genre is a, is a genre that has 
a particular trope, particular tropes, and a lot of those particular tropes involve women being horrifically, horrifically murdered. Um, and if that context is comfortable for you, if you've signed up for that context, uh, even in a satiric context, which is obviously, you know, taken with a, a bit more irony, I think you're going to find a lot to love here. Like, this is a fun, fun movie. If you're not taking it in the sort of, you know, ain't I a stinker, you know, comedy slasher heightened uh, so, sort of uh, satiric mold. Um, yeah, it's just going to seem like, you know, a, a, another dumb movie that, that is mixed in with the bunch that has, you know, maybe better technical execution than the rest or is grosser than the rest. But yeah, it's a movie. It's, it's weirdly a movie that's, that is what it is on the tin, as Salim says. But like, also like, if you pay attention, like you're going to get more out of it than, than your, uh, your average, like little, little gross out flick. So, uh, I really, I really had a lot more fun with it this time than the first time. First time I took it as just little gross out flick. This time I'm like, Oh, that's, it's uh it's a little bit more delicate than that. Yeah. I mean, but in fairness to even that, like there is a balance in the fact that you, you see a dick and then you see it in, in, in a few different stages of being eaten. <laughs> Yeah, but the point is that they're set. But. They spend a lot of time setting up the dick getting chomped off. It's not just like a random coed. No, dick. I know it's yeah. the sexist asshole predator guy's dick, right? So it's that. <laughs> look, we, it's look, look we love life force. We set it at life force. Show some more dicks. You're gonna. It's fine that the ladies walk around naked. Yeah, she's Lock got hog. helpers. Show some. Show some hog. Yeah, um, hog baby. Flop some hog, Salim. So it was to it, but just flop it. <laughs> Say it with your chest. Has anyone ever said in a sentence to you that goes "flop some hog, comma Salim"? Thank you so much for being on this show. This was this was great. We are not going to wait two and a half years or whatever it's been since uh, until you come back on again. This was a total blast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, do you have anything to promote? I know we mentioned uh, 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 Movie Motor Brat, but uh, if there's anything else you'd like to direct people to. If anybody wants to be the part with like an overflow of 2010 space lists, you can go ahead to moviemotorbrat.wordpress.com. Those lists will continue shortly. I'm just dedicating as much like bandwidth and time to the current issue with the with George Floyd and Murray and all the others who have been um, victims of police brutality. So that's, that's, that's where my mind is at right now. But it was great being here for, uh, for a good distraction and a good time talking with, with the, both of you guys. But yeah, yeah I'm sorry yeah. about that. <laughs> no, no, no. I am. I am. MovieMotorBreathWordPress.com. Uh, it is a great blog, and uh, it's, yeah, yeah, it's great. It, it has this has been so we are actually recording well ahead. This doesn't come out till mid August, um, and uh, and this has been. Uh, I mean, part of the reason we're able to record so far ahead is because of the fact that we uh, have been in quarantine, have a lot more free time on our nights, both to watch the movies and then record the episodes. But but as Peter said, I can't think of a weirder time to have to pre-record a bunch of episodes because there is so much happening all the time. And it's like, uh, uh, yeah, how do you uh, – we, we are definitely not a podcast that avoids talking about what's going on. And there's going to be literally on-topic podcasts that come out yeah. that uh, weren't on topic. So it's, it's a weird time. But yeah, 
Um, but yeah, uh, definitely, definitely check it out. I have read a couple of the lists, Salim, even before you tagged me. That's how much I enjoy your writing. Uh, and uh, yeah, really, really love seeing them I, again. Uh, you definitely have a very uh, specific taste that sometimes can be hard to cater to, to, to borrow the quote. Um, but uh, one that I always appreciate because uh, you are very passionate about the movies that you love, and I love reading about that. So, Thank you. Uh, but yeah, next week, second to last one. I can't believe we did a double month and we're already on our last two. The last two are next week we're doing Nosferatu the Vamp. Pier? The Ooh. Vampire? Yeah, I think it's just Vampire. Uh, that's not, that's uh, with, uh, with noted guest in that he we sometimes note him on our show, uh, Rick Kelly, who joined us when we did the original Nosferatu about three and a half years ago. So it will be fun to have him come on to discuss the Herzog remake. And then we're wrapping it up with the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Probably like the quintessential, oh, horror remakes can sometimes exceed their uh, progenitor uh, with Morgan Rennes. Uh, and those are going to be both a lot of fun episodes as well. I'm so excited. Peter, I think almost in our like third month, we did Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So we've been sitting on doing that for, for years now. Oh, so. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been... And also, we've done a lot of other great horror remakes. Like, um, we've done The Fly. We've done Hills of Eyes. So, I think we'll be releasing some well, of the... the Thing. The, the Thing. Uh, we'll be re-releasing some of those. Uh, <laughs> one that only, I think, uh, you, me, and the producer, uh, Carrie Nelson, think is great. The Carrie remake. Um, yeah. So, uh, I think... Uh, yeah, so well, that's the thing is that there is as much as uh, I think a lot of film people decry remakes. Uh, it's amazing how uh, how many good ones there are, especially when it comes oh, yeah. to the horror genre. We've done a, probably like yeah, ten or twelve, and then we literally had to whittle down this list to four and decided fuck it eight, and it was still like a debate about okay, well we can do Evil Dead here, and we can do the 2011 thing here. And all these other things. So, yeah, uh, I, it's been so fun. I uh, I'm I'm kind of bummed to see it to see it end, but I am excited to talk about uh, our first Herzog movie, and then of course Invasion of the Body Snatcher. So, can I just say, uh, yeah, that, uh, yeah, Invasion of the Body Snatchers that remake really, really. Uh, I, mean, I assume it's the air until like August or something. I'm talking about a really good movie. For, yeah, like, COVID Oh, yeah. yeah, we're weirdly finding a lot of movies are, are are resonating in COVID. The Crazies remake did, the Blob remake weirdly did, and also this movie, the scene of Elizabeth Shue trying to get the fucking partiers out of their like, <laughs> get out of the water, go home, like, and then all of them just be like, Haha, yeah, like that oh, reminded yeah. me of the early days of COVID when there was all those spring breakers in Florida. Yeah, well, and we did uh, both Night of the Living Dead remake and Dawn of the Dead remake, which reminds me of all those uh, uh, photographic people protesting the fact that they had to wear masks against glass. Uh, so yeah. Uh, yeah, just uh, just uh, we had this planned literally last summer. All, everything we were going to do. Uh, but uh, you know what? Not to get like a little bit like well actually we learned something. Um, 
part of the reason that Peter and I, and I bet it's the same thing for you too, Sully, love horror movies is that like, even though they are just like, uh, sometimes you, we like them because they scare us or they, they are gory. They, a lot of times are very allegorical that have a lot of applications to the real world. And as the real world d- descends more and more into an everyday horror movie, it's not, uh, not surprising. We're seeing parallels in all the stuff that we're watching, Absolutely. but, but yeah, this has been fun. Uh, I guess uh, at the end of the day, I hope we all learned a lesson. Um, get on the right boat. <laughs> <laughs> if you it, let's, if you see Adam Scott, uh, you're hot to trot. If you see Christopher Walken, you should be balking. Yeah, if you see Robert Wagner, get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was gonna have to be the one that bombed the rhyme scheme, but I'm, but I'm glad Peter did. Because that, that's yeah. There's still time to step on it, Salim. It's no. all you. All right, no, Salim. It's all you. No, I'm good. That, that that's it. Like Peter, Peter, Peter nailed it. Sweet. I nailed it by not nailing it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if if you're hurt and feeling good, wait. Well, I did backwards. Hold on. <laughs> If you're feeling good and not hurt, you didn't get on the boat with uh, Wagner, comma, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're ending it. <laughs> like hey, babe, can you float on water? You move like Garbo's daughter. Listen to me. Motorboat, the no video. Hey kids, you want to swell vacation? Let's Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs) 